Support for Meaningful Conversations comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you get to create your very own professional website. Wix believes anything is possible with the right website builder. So whether you're about to create a website for the first time or you're a longtime pro, Wix has you covered. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. So create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Meaningful Conversations to get 10% off. I'm Maria Shriver, and this is Meaningful Conversations. On every episode, we'll take a journey into the lives of inspiring, thoughtful, thought-provoking people. People who are smart, spirited, and spiritual. People who have done extraordinary things to make a positive impact on our world. These are people I respect and admire. People who inspire me. I want them to share their stories, their experiences, their wisdom, and their feelings with you. I hope we can come together in community to reflect on the issues and topics that we're all thinking about, but no one seems to be talking about. I hope that you're inspired to have more meaningful conversations with the people in your life. If you're looking for some real inspiration in your life, look no further than Loretta Claiborne. Loretta is someone I've known and admired for a really long time. She's a world-class runner, a gifted motivational speaker, and she just also happens to be a Special Olympics athlete and a person with an intellectual disability. She's also someone who's received two honorary doctorate degrees, completed 26 marathons. Let that land for a second. 26 marathons. She's received the 1996 SB Award, Arthur Ashe Award for Courage, has a fourth degree black belt in karate, and was inducted into the Women in Sports Hall of Fame and the Special Olympics Pennsylvania Hall of Fame. Good God. She's also appeared twice on The Oprah Show, communicates in four languages, and is fluent in sign language. I mean, hello. Wow. Loretta is a woman who has never, ever let her disability hold her back. And her mission is to inspire the rest of us to reach our full potential as well and not let our limitations in life hold us back. I recently caught up with Loretta at the Special Olympics World Games in Abu Dhabi, and I'm so thrilled that you'll get to hear that conversation this morning. And I wanted you to meet Loretta and hear about the profound effect that the Special Olympics has had on her and the power of one simple conversation. I am here in Abu Dhabi with my friend Loretta Claiborne, who is a real leader in the Special Olympics world movement. And I wanted to do this podcast with her because she has done so much 
in her life, aside from competing in athletic events, running marathons, but uh, and even having a TV movie made about her life. But she's really made her life about breaking down stereotypes, about teaching people about those with intellectual disabilities. And Loretta, I begin this conversation every time I have it with asking the person I'm talking to, do they feel they're leading a meaningful life and how would they describe a meaningful life? Yes, me, do I feel so I'm uh, leading a meaningful life? Yes. Well, in a sense I do, but it, you know, it's still a long way to go for, with the acceptance of people with intellectual disability. I myself, I really do live a meaningful life. I mean, I get up in the morning, I do what I got to do. Sometimes I have to pay taxes. I, you know, take care of my home. I go and work out. That's the thing I like to do. And I have people. To me, a meaningful life is having somebody in your life. So I have people I could talk to. Mm -hmm. My advocate, one of my advocates who lives close, Miss Roxanne, I will sit down and I say, hey, Miss Rox, what are you doing? She's one of our coaches. And she'll call me up and we'll just chat. And I think when you have that conversation in your life, I didn't have that as a kid. Kids did not want to talk to me. They didn't want even to be near me. So to have somebody I could talk to, that to me is a meaningful life. To have somebody I can go out and chat with or go to Zumba with or just have a good companion in my life. But most of all, I love sport and they have Special Olympics in my life. I mean, I play like nine sports a year with Special Olympics and two or three without Special Olympics. So to me, that's a meaningful life. To somebody else, it might be have a big fancy car, a big house. That to me is not a meaningful life. Having people in my life is a meaningful life. You just said, Loretta, that when you were growing up, um, you didn't have anybody to talk to and that kids didn't want to be around you at all. What did that feel like? What did that do to your life? It isolated me and it made me angry. And I got to the point where I didn't have to use my voice. What's the point of it? I just used my fist. And I thought that's how I was gonna get through, through life. I had a teacher one time just look at me and says, I ain't got time for dummies. I was sitting in her class and she didn't have to tell me I would just get up and walk to the closet. Now, and the sad thing was I repeated her class twice. You think she'd want to get rid of me, but to be a kid, you know, seven, eight years old, why should you have to go through that? Nine, 10, 11 years old. And then of course you get to be a teenager, you feel as though you have no self-worth. And it's hard. What would you say to kids who are in class, perhaps with someone who has an intellectual disability, what would you say to them that could make somebody like your life easier when you were young? It's hard, even today, to have a child that's in the school, a teenager, to just say, go out there and find a friend or meet a friend in school when you're really isolated. So today they're very fortunate because they have unified sports or unified programs to educate the school, even before the sport, about children who are differently able. And hope that that would bring them together, even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes, or just to sit in the cafeteria together, to see a person being isolated, you know, because he or she can't learn as well as you. If you're a good student, if you're in regular ed, if you're a good student, you would take time out and say, hey, that guy over there is lonely, or that girl over there is lonely. I'm just going to go over here and sit and talk to her and find out what it's about. And I guarantee you, 
it would open up not only that regular student's mind, but it'll open up the student who is sitting there lonely. And nobody ever came to you and said, boy, I think you must be lonely. No, you gotta be kidding. You gotta be kidding. But today, if they see a child that's lonely, I know in my town there was a little boy, he must have been in second grade. He heard or read on the internet that they have a bench put in school. So when they had this bench put on the playground, it was for new kids or kids who were lonely, and they would go sit on that bench and just have a conversation. That's and great. And it, it spread it across the country and probably across the world. Now, he didn't create the ideal. He had seen it on the Internet. But it just opened up. Just imagine how many students, just by sitting that bench there, come sit with me, come talk to me. But in my time, it was like an omen. Lord forbid you sit with that kid who's differently able. Lord forbid you sit over there, sad to say, I don't like to use this word, but since it's time sensitive, you don't sit with the retarded kid. And everybody knew it. You've been very vocal and outspoken in the movement and the R word, getting people to stop using the word retard. Why should people, parents, talk to their kids about this? How do we get people to stop using this word? Even very famous people, comedians and movies still use it. Can you tell people why it's such a terrible word? It's a demeaning word. It hurts. And it started out as a medical word. When my mom was told that I was born with mental retardation, it was a medical term. And then when they sliced it, it became cliche. And what people didn't understand, it became a negative. It's just like, like taking the word Negro and put an I-G-G-E-R on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it turns out to be a negative. So if you as a parent see what your child is going through and you're talking to another parent who doesn't have a child like yours, who's to say that somewhere along the line in your family that you might have a child that's differently able? And it would be nice that one day we walk down the street and say, hey, that's Loretta Claiborne. She lives down the street. That's not Loretta Claiborne. You know, they would walk down the street and they said, that's Loretta. She lives right down the street. Instead of... That's Loretta, you know the girl who has, uh, she lived in the projects a long time ago. Then they bring back the horror story. It'd be nice just to walk down and say, that's Loretta. That's Jamie. But it's a long way to go. We are working on it so hard. It is getting better. Because you hear in schools, when you go to schools, and I go to a lot of schools, a lot of students are using different terms. I know that guy, you mean the guy that has, uses a wheelchair? not confined, that uses a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Or the girl over there, she has autism. Jamie, who has autism, wouldn't it ni- be nice to say, I know Jamie. The girl with the blonde hair. So your, your goal is to really get people to not say, look at, there's Loretta, she has an intellectual disability. There's Jimmy, he's got autism. There's Ben he's got Down syndrome. You just want them to say, there's Ben, there's Loretta, there's Maria, there's Jamie. Exactly. And I think it's going to be a long time till we get to that. But as long as they describe me, there's Loretta, a person of determination, or Loretta who has an intellectual disability, right now I can deal with it because it's better than what it was (laughs) 30 or 40 years ago. So here in Abu Dhabi, they've coined the term 
for people who are competing in the Special Olympics as people of determination, people with determination, as opposed to people with an intellectual disability. Do you like that phrase, people with determination? People of determination, yes, because I'm determined to do something better than what I've, tomorrow, better than what I've done today. And even a common person, I remember my mom saying, I am determined that I'm gonna get this right. And I would look at her and say, what do you mean? She said, one of these days I'm gonna get it right, I'm determined that my child is going to graduate from school with a diploma. She was determined that her Loretta was going to graduate from William Penn Senior High School and have a diploma that says Loretta Claiborne has completed her studies at William Penn Senior High School. Not like the other kids who were in special education, that Loretta has attended William Penn Senior High School. There's a difference between attending and completing her studies. Yeah. And my mom was determined. So Loretta, talk a little bit about how Special Olympics changed your life. You and my mother had a really close bond, and I think you always felt that she saw something in you. She saw your determination, not your disability. Talk about how this program changed your life. Honestly, seriously, I thought this would be something that come to my life. I was at a shelter workshop on the school to week, to work the week. And I thought maybe after the first year or two, oh, this will be going just like everything else. Here it is, 50 years, and I know what it's done for me. I remember a counselor saying to me, I got in a fight at the shelter workshop, and I had a hammer in my hand. I was about to go after somebody, and the counselor would look at me and says, Loretta, put the hammer down. And he called me in his office that night. He says, I think I have something for you that's better than all those pills that you're taking. And I looked at Mr. Lee, what? And he handed me a paper and it said Special Olympics. Who would have ever thought that that would change my life? I thought maybe it'd be one of those programs at the shelter workshop, we'll be here, then all of a sudden it's going just like the jazz dancing and the African dancing that we had in the housing project, all the little programs, they'll be there one or two years and then they're done. Here it is 50 years later. It has changed my life. I, don't need, I can't even describe it. I always said, if it wasn't for Special Olympics, I'd be two places. I'd probably be in somebody's prison or institution, cause, but there's few of them now are six feet under in my grave. What, what do you, can you remember when you first met my mother? And do you remember like what that relationship meant to you? I do You're remember smiling. when I first <laughs> met your mother. 1972 at Drake Stadium, UCLA University, the University of UCLA. I was running the race and my official coach didn't show up. The coach is supposed to be there. So when I was running this race, I came around the corner and a woman from Indiana, I could still see the red shirt, the red shorts and the white stripe, cut it me off. And I was upset. So the one coach who was with me, she was only an assistant coach. She wanted to protest. So we go across the field. The coach says, I think I better get Loretta and get her up in the dorm because I think she's going to explode. And as we walked across the field, because, I mean, I put my hard-earned life into that. That was my dream was to win that race. I was seated to win that race. And then that happens. The coach walks me across the field and says, we're going to the dorm. So she gets some other coaches to take the other athletes, 
and we walk up towards the hall and this other coach comes by, Jean Jones. She says, Loretta, stop here right now. So see that lady over there? And I had to be on my P's and Q's because I knew she had my mother's phone number 3,000 miles away. <laughs> and I know, know what my mom said to her. And I said, yes, ma'am. And this lady was walking towards us, an older lady, and she looks at me. I didn't know who she was. She says, oh, she must have been reading my mind. She says, young lady, are you having a good time? She didn't ask me about the race. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm boiling, I'm ready to explode, and I'm thinking, I better act right. I said, yes, ma'am. And she asked me two or, two or three other questions. And as we walked away, Jean Jones looked at me and said, you know who that is? I said, no. She says, that's the lady that started this. And I remember picking up a paper. And I still have that paper up on my third floor somewhere today. And it said about Special Olympics. And it was just like a cartoon paper like somebody puts out yeah. for the athletes. And I walked up to the hall. And I got in the shower. And I said, wow, it just hit me. Who would care for somebody like me? Who would care for somebody like me to bring me across the country? on a plane. And I thought maybe I would go home, go to the workshop, and that would be the end of it. And then as time went by, I transitioned into the workshop. And as soon as I get in the argument, Lee Gilrufus said, Claiborne, Special Olympics. Hammer drop, attitude drop, the anger dropped. He had me marked. Special Olympics, that was the right pill. And it didn't come out of a bottle. Uh, how many medals have you won in Special Olympics? You know, I never counted medals. Never. Because I counted the opportunity that I have, that I was given, that your mother had just given me. And I counted those opportunities because I know what it's done for me and what it's doing for people like me across the world. Don't go away. We'll have more of the conversation in just a moment. But first, let's talk about one of our sponsors. This episode of Meaningful Conversations is brought to you by Snow. Everyone wants their home to look and feel great. That's why Snow has created trend-proof, beautiful, functional pieces made for how you live. Snow makes luxury essentials for every room, minus the markup. They do it by partnering directly with master craftsmen to create simple products that are made to last. Snow offers beautiful home goods that are reasonably priced, and right now, they're offering listeners of this podcast $30 off your first purchase of $150. So just go to snowhome.com slash meaningful to get this deal. Once again, that's snowhome.com slash meaningful to get $30 off your first order. Stress is a worldwide epidemic. We're working longer hours, we're inundated with the constant news cycle, and we're more connected than ever before. Sometimes it can feel like stress is just inevitable, but it's important that we know how it affects overall well-being. That's why Meaningful Conversations is partnering with Calm, the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and stress and help you sleep better. More than 40 million people around the world have already downloaded it. If you head to calm.com slash meaningful today, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. That includes 
guided meditations for issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. There are also sleep stories, which are bedtime stories for adults designed to help you relax, soothing music, and more. So head to calm.com slash meaningful conversations and get 25% off a Calm premium subscription today. That's calm.com slash meaningful. Get calm and stop stressing. If you have a great idea for a business, but the thought of an all administrative work seems overwhelming, then HoneyBook is here to help. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that lets you control your client communication, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. If you're a creative freelancer or a small business owner, HoneyBooks helps you stay organized with custom templates and automation tools. You can even use HoneyBook to consolidate services you already use like QuickBooks, Google Suite, and MailChimp. Over 75,000 photographers, designers, event professionals, and other entrepreneurs have saved hundreds to thousands of hours a year. So if you're a freelancer or business owner who could use an extra hand, then head on over to HoneyBook.com today. Right now, HoneyBook is offering our podcast listeners 50% off your first year with promo code MEANINGFUL. Payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to HoneyBook.com and use promo code MEANINGFUL for 50% off your first year. Get paid faster and work smarter with HoneyBook.com promo code MEANINGFUL. Now let's get back to the conversation. But you you met mommy that day kind of in passing and then you kept coming back to Special Olympics and how do you think and why do you think your relationship with her developed so deeply? You really became deep, deep friends. You know, it was funny because that was in 1972. I went to a race down in DC, it was called the Marine Corps Marathon, and they had a division of the race that was for people with intellectual disability. They had a 5K. Now, I remember running in that 5K, and it was my first year. And coming down to the finish, I was starting to lead the race, and I seen the guy ahead of me, and I was going after him. And of course, another guy, as I passed that guy, comes up, and he comes up on my left. Well, I'm using my right eye to focus because I don't see out both my eyes at the same time. And I got tripped, but I caught myself and I finished the race and I ended up getting second to Gerald. He was from Staten Island. And while we was, I was standing there, Michelle said to me, Loretta, I want you to stand here. She was my person who had me down at the event. This lady's walking around, she's older and she's going through the runners. And I'm standing there looking at this lady, I'm like, lady, those runners don't care about <laughs> you walking, and she would walk and talk to a couple of runners and they would split and then all of a sudden this lady came to me and she looked at me and we must have been there 35 minutes and we just start talking and she said to me, how would you like to be my friend? And I looked at her and I started to cry. I said, I really don't have no friends. And she went in a purse and she got a little card and it said Special Olympics, that's the only thing I could read, something K Street. Says, I want you to write me. I said, I can't write that good. You won't be able to understand. Don't worry about it. I want you to write me. I want you to be my friend. And we start coordinating back and forth. Stamp, 
this writing back and forth. You and Mame. Me and you and she wouldn't that let me call her. I said, well, Mrs. Shriver, she looked at me, she says, you don't call me Mr. Shriver. You call me Eunice, you understand? We're friends. And we, she would call me and she would come down to the office, 1350 New York Avenue, and I'd go in the office and we would start talking. I said, you know what, Eunice, I hear you say that this is Special Olympics is an organization. I said, we're a movement. We're about people. That was 1986. 1986, I came down on a Greyhound bus and she would call me in. She knew I was near. She would give me a call. She says, well, can you come into the office? And I said, well, I have to see if I have enough money to get a bus ticket. So I cleaned a couple houses, saved the money till I got enough. And I said, I would call up somebody and I said, I'm coming down to the office. And then I would come down and she would always call me in and talk. What did that mean to you when mommy said to you, will you be my friend? It meant the world because I'd never had somebody come up to me ever and said, will you be my friend? And would come back or respond back. Because the one friend I did have, she had gotten sent to an institution. So just imagine you're in elementary school and you're writing your neighbor who lives two houses, three houses up from you and she's gone. And I still have that one letter that Wendy Heath had just written me. And I never got no letters back. So here's my sisters. I'm looking at them, regular kids. You know, they get mail, they get this. And for this lady to say, would you be my friend? I thought I had the world. I just start crying. She says, young lady, you don't have to cry. What's wrong? What's wrong? Because I never had nobody ask me, would I be their friend? It's such a simple question. Will you be my friend? And what I think you're illuminating is how many people that have never heard those, will you be my friend, those five words, and how life-changing they are. And I think you, if we had more people that really understand those five words, we wouldn't have what's happening in our country today. When you look at the violence, those people are lost. They're hurting inside. Something's happened. They're disconnected. Think about it. When I stood at that mosque and I talked, it'll be 50 years that my grandma, my great-grandma was murdered and they never found who murdered her by somebody who's probably going through the same thing. So I think you can maybe hear a little bit. We're in Abu That's Dhabi. The That's the call to prayer. Very good. So yes. if you hear Ramadan's that. Ramadan's coming up in May. Right. So if you hear that in our mics, we just want you to know that that's the call to prayer here in Abu Dhabi, where Loretta and I are. And I, I just think you, you've been, Loretta, such an incredible spokesperson, ambassador, symbol of, you know, this movement and telling people who today still are surprised that people with intellectual disabilities go to school, graduate college, get jobs, get married, leave full lives. What would you say to them is the biggest misconception about a person with an intellectual disability? I think the biggest misconception of people with intellectual disability it comes from our general society. If you, you haven't been around a person or you hadn't had somebody in your, in your family, it's a misunderstanding of them. They kind of put us, when they see somebody with Down syndrome, they think they're the 
internal child that that person would never grow up. Uh, still today, I'm in the store talking, and somebody will try to talk to me so simple. And I said, I understand. Why don't you talk to me like you would any other daughter? I just heard you over there talking to that guy, and you talk to him more grown up than you talk to me. Excuse me, I understand. And I think it's just understanding us. And when you get that respect of understanding somebody, you have no more problems. So eventually, I mean, you would like to see a world where we don't use labels, where people ask other people, will you be my friend? And where they speak to people with intellectual disabilities exactly the way they speak to somebody without one. And I'm, you know, when I'm somewhere, somebody will have, have a habit of just like really touching me and I say, excuse me, or they'll ask me a question that they wouldn't ask their normal coworker. Like, how much do you make? And I look at them, I says, excuse me, that question you just asked me was a private question. Now, would you ask your friends how much they make on their job? Or how much you get back in your income tax? Or what do you do? No. So just remember that just because I'm a person with intellectual disabilities, I have feeling and I do understand. Talk to me like you would talk to your friend. Talk to me like you would talk to your coworker. And remember, that I do have feelings too. And ask me to be your friend. Ask me, please. I would love to be your friend. And being a friend doesn't mean you have to buy something or do something. How about just a friendly chat? How about just sitting in the cafeteria and talking a couple minutes? It doesn't cost anything to be a friend. And it doesn't cost anything to these athletes who are here in Abu Dhabi competing and making friends and understanding this country. This is the first time these games were held here in the Middle East. Yeah. And the understanding that they'll take back to their communities, I'm hoping that these games will be, leave a legacy, not only in the Middle East, but as we go back and fly our planes back home to the United States and the other 189 countries around the globe. Loretta Claiborne, thank you so much for talking with us today, for leading such a beautifully inspiring and meaningful life. Uh, you're one of the most inspirational people, not woman, people, persons that I've ever met. Well, so thank, thank you. you. And your mother's not here to be 10 years that she's been gone. Uh -huh. And I know on my birthday this year, I probably won't even recognize it because her funeral was on my birthday 10 years ago. And I spoke at her funeral. Yeah. But I'm going to look at it as Eunice, wherever you may live in the heavens, I'm hoping that you're happy with what you're seeing here that's happening in your movement. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Meaningful Conversations. If you're looking for more inspiration and words of wisdom, then please sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Sunday Paper. It's free and it's really good. Just visit my website, mariashriver.com, to subscribe. I hope you'll also check out my book, I've Been Thinking, and its new companion, I've Been Thinking, The Journal. Like this podcast, these books were created to help you on your path to a meaningful life. More details on my website about all of that as well. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to being in community with you again right here each Monday.